new challenges. Sometimes you might feel like you can't handle it all or need to cover up your struggles. We are here to have authentic conversations about the daily battles we experience and to let you know that it's okay to not be okay. I'm Megan. I'm Laura. Let's talk about it. Hey guys, welcome back to It's Okay to Not Be Okay, and I am pulling teeth with Laura to get her to talk about self-awareness today. Um, self-awareness is our topic, talking about self-awareness and self-esteem as we end out the month of May for mental health awareness. So she's making me go first, and I told her I was going to share this. So one of my things, I think, as I get older, it, older, I turned 40 this year, um, is that I find myself more and more just from the beginning of a time that I meet with a person like yesterday I was doing an interview and I was like, listen, I don't mean to be offensive, but I'm a loud outspoken person. And I like to say it like it is. And I find when I say that to people right up front, I feel like I will less offend them. So that's where I was going to roll with today, Laura, how you feel about that? I mean, you do you boo. <laughs> <laughs> I think why I'm struggling with this is because it sounds like such like a therapist term. And I mean, this is part of our development for the month of May. We're focusing on becoming self-aware, changing stories and self-awareness. And I'm learning more about it. Like when I sent it out to our therapist, like, give me your tips, give me your stories. I had no idea what self-awareness is, but reading the stories, I'm like, okay, I think I'm getting it. But you're the therapist. So why don't you go ahead and define for us what self-awareness is and why it is important. And then we can really get the ball rolling. Okay. So I don't have like a Webster's dictionary on this because I'm not, because I'm a spontaneous person more than one that plans out things. Don't worry. I Um, have it. I have it pulled up. I just want to hear your definition first. (laughs) I'm sure you do, Laura. Um, I would say self-awareness is understanding yourself. So being aware of your strengths, your weaknesses, and why you function the way you do. So self-awareness is a huge piece in therapy because like, that's what we want to do. We want to help people understand themselves. And I don't think you ever get any place on it, right? Like there's never this like time where you're like, I am fully self-aware because I think you change all the time. But I think self-awareness is understanding yourself better and being honest, kind of going back to like when we talked about body image last time of like not comparing, like saying these are my differences and like, I'm owning that and I'm okay with it. What is Webster's dictionary? This one says a conscious knowledge of one's own character, feelings, motives, and desires. And then the sentence is, see, it's what I said. I just don't talk like that. Yes. Yours was more real. That's how I learned. When using it in a sentence, it says the process can be painful, but it leads to greater self-awareness. And I think after reading like the stories of like what is being seen in our therapist's office and the tips that they give, like it's not an easy process to become self-aware. And I guess as I've learned more about it, maybe why I've struggled with it is that 
post-college, I think I've become more confident in who I am. And maybe that's because I've learned more about myself that I maybe, maybe I'm just more naturally self-aware. And that's why I'm just like, what is the self-awareness thing? But this really probably might've been helpful to me like in high school and college when I was like, who am I? Let me just do what everyone else is doing. And But I think like in high school and college, you're still like, you're in that stage of development where you're still figuring it out. And even like, if I look back on that time, I'm not the same person that I am now. So it's like a continual piece of self-awareness. You want to know another little tidbit that's like popping up in my head right now, because I listen back to our recordings. I need to be very self-aware of not saying like a million freaking times on here, (laughs) but Anyways, I'm working on that. So I think to kind of guide our discussion or guide our discussions, we wanted to talk about like some personality tests that we've done and like things that we do know about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was funny when we were, we went to Arizona in February for the best practice ministry, ministry. I never can remember. It's called BPM. So I never remember what, but everyone calls it best practices. They don't include the M. Mm -hmm. So I never remember what the M is. But we were standing with a group of people and someone had asked me, they're like, what's your, what's your number? And I was like, my Enneagram number. And they're like, yeah. And I said, I don't know. And so then he just starts asking me all these questions. He's like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about this? And then like the last one was, how do you feel about confrontation? And I was like, I think it's great. Like, I'd like, let's do it. Let's confront each other. Let's get it over with. And he goes, yep, you're an eight. I said, Okay. But then like, I think you had then had come up into the conversation and we started talking about it. And like the people that were there all knew their numbers. They could like diagnose people with other numbers. And you and I are like, we've never taken the test. And it like revealed a little bit, I guess, about ourselves, like that we really, not that we didn't need it, but I think as we look to the definition of, I was the, when I took the test, I was an eight and a three, but I feel like those people were just more not needing the Enneagram numbers. I don't know. We're just more like live, live your life kind of people. But I think that there's value in it. And we then went back to the hotel and we took the test. And so we found out what we were and we talked about it and saw how it was applicable to our lives. And then how it helps you understand not only yourself, but other people. If you're like, oh, you're a three, that means you're blah, 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 blah. Or you're a five, you're maybe you're more sensitive or- Yeah, I think the thing with the Enneagram, it hasn't been around that long. So like kind of the staple in mental health or in assessments that we have done has always been the Myers-Briggs. And so Enneagram is kind of like newer, I think, to the platform. So that's why I hadn't taken it. And then, I don't know, when you go online and you like do these questionnaire, like free tools or whatever, I'm always a little suspect. But when we took the Enneagram that night in Phoenix, I mean, for me, it was spot on because- what was one of the questions? Like, do people often find you aggressive? And I'm like, yes, all the time. Matt tells me that I'm aggressive. Like people think I'm aggressive all the time. And so, I mean, it lined up for things that I knew about myself. And, but the other thing I like that the Enneagram and things like Myers-Briggs does is it points out we're not all cookie cutters. Like we don't function the same way. And it's so important to like really know that because I think in the core of us, we assume that everybody functions like I do and it's just not, not true. Mm-hmm. So what was I, I was an eight and a two, I was a strong eight. Yeah. You were a big eight. 
I was more of a three, the achiever. The eight is the challenger. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that really is me. Uh, just like, I don't know, kind of challenge every core concept, belief, why you do what you do. Um, well, the definition of that is powerful, me. dominating type, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. That is you pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know why I was so opposed to these. I think it was like a fad and yeah, but it's still lasting. And so I'm like, I don't need a, I don't need a number. Like I know who I am. I'm a pretty good reader of people. Like I understand different Mm -hmm. personalities. I understand like once I get to know you or yeah, I mean, my husband's told me a lot, like you should be a therapist. Like you understand people, you, you know, I never really picked up on that kind of thing. So maybe that's why I've always kind of just like struggled with it, not struggled, but never had a desire to sit down for 20 minutes and take a test and read books on it and all that kind of stuff. But the more I've gotten to like talk to people about it, I think the people that really find value in it, they see that it helps them understand other people. Like they become Mm -hmm. more self-aware of who they are and what they do. But then like, also if I'm talking to someone that's, I don't know the Enneagram numbers, but let's say it's someone that's more soft-hearted, less confident. If I come, come and like attack them and be confrontational, they're going to see it as just that, like an attack. Whereas I'm just saying, I love you. I care about you. I'm going to work this out. That's why I'm confronting you because I don't like this elephant in the room. Whereas they're like, stop attacking me. And so I think it just makes everyone more self-aware and aware of other people and their tendencies and personalities. And then maybe can stop like disagreements or bumps in the road or just increase understanding. I think that's why I find that I preface stuff because I've been told a lot that I'm aggressive and confrontational. So I try to like put it out there. Like I know I come off as this, but that's not my goal. I also think if you want to become like super self-aware, get married (laughs) because you will live with somebody who is not the same as you. And if you can like create that trusting relationship, then you can really have it reflected back to you right? What that other person sees in you in a way that you'll receive it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, what I like more and what I've used more in like couples counseling is the Myers-Briggs. Um, because I don't know, it's just been around a while and I do, uh, I do prepare and enrich, um, and they use that a little bit in their assessments. Um, but I think it's so important to understand like, one, are you an extrovert or an introvert? Like, how do you think, do you think out loud or do you think internally, Um, and like, where do you get your energy? Do you get your energy being around people or do you get your energy alone? Like for me, those are super important things and have been super important to try to recognize in our kids. Like Matt and I talk about that a lot. Like what if our kids are in extroverts and what are introverts, like who needs to go and like recharge their battery after school and who can just kind of like keep going because being around people is so helpful. Um, I think those are key pieces to like understand about yourself and about the people that you love and are around. Do you know your letters? Did you look it up? So I am, I believe I am an ENTJ. I'm looking at it again. I'm definitely an E. I'm a strong extrovert. And like, when we talk about extrovert, like we talk about it in two ways, we as in therapists, like 
How do you process information? And then where do you get your energy from? So in both of those things, I'm an extrovert. Mm -hmm. I process out loud and I get my energy from being around people, but you can be like an extrovert where you process out loud, but an introvert where like you get your energy being alone. But I think I'm an ENTJ. What are you? I took a little five minute one last night. uh, So I don't know how accurate it is. I, it says I'm an ESTP, extroverted, observant, thinking, prospecting, which I agree with for the most part. It called me an entrepreneur and I didn't necessarily like everything it said about me. Um, I would say that I'm more of an extroverted introvert. Like I can, you put me in a social situation. I can be just fine. I like to think out loud. I am not, I, there's never a time that I really have a lack for words. My husband would probably agree with that. Um, but also like, I do like my alone time. And I think even more so like with little kids, it's just, mm-hmm. there's just times where we have two rooms with TVs and I'll have to look at David and be like, I really love you, but it's, I just need to be alone for a hot sack. <laughs> and he understands where he, he's like an extroverted. He's like you, where he gets his energy from people. He's probably a little bit more introverted in social situations than I am sometimes, but yeah, I think though, as I was reading this last night, I, the frustrating thing to me that gets me about some of these quizzes is that you don't want to get stuck in this defining you. And I sometimes see it with people with like the Enneagram or even this, that it says, okay, this is what I am. And then you stick to it that maybe that's just my frustration is like, you don't want to let that number completely define you because again, you're taking a a test that who knows it came up with the questions, but are you really truthfully answering them? Or you're just kind of like, Oh, if I say yes to this, like that's going to give me a bad score or make me look bad. Or how is that? You know? And I think that's my frustration. And maybe that's how I got caught up in some of the Enneagrams because the first people I would talk to, they're like, well, you're a two thing three. And that means you get along with these people and you don't get along with these people. And that's just, that's just tricky to me because it's good to help you understand, but you don't want to sit in that box. Right. And don't, well, and that's why I tend more towards the Myers-Briggs because the Myers-Briggs is like a pendulum, right? So I'm an extrovert, but like, I'm a therapist. I can't process everything out loud. So like, it's caused me to be more introverted in certain settings. And so like over the course of your life, like you're gonna, you're gonna go back and forth on those pieces. I also think too, like there are just some probably personality styles that you and I have. That's like, don't tell me what I am. I'll tell you what I am like back (laughs) off, man. You know, like, so it's like, we don't, want to be boxed in like that, which again, I think just speaks to who we are. But the other piece that you said, the moral compass, like, I think that is such a thing that we don't talk about with self-awareness. So when we want to be self-aware, like we want to be honest about our shortcomings or like, I, I will have conversations with you or myself. Like, I hate that person. That person like pisses me off and I don't like them. Well, I grew up in a really a moral home. Right. And for some people with a strict moral home where you can't say, I hate somebody, it's going to be really hard to be self-aware because that moral compass that kind of defines you is like, but you're not allowed to feel that way. And you're not allowed like to be mean or rude to people. So it kind of morphs how you talk to yourself and how you approach people Mm -hmm. as well. So I think that plays a piece in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of the other 
tests that are out there too, that we've talked about, even, I think we touched on it when we did the Enneagram was even being aware of like your love languages. And I think that's mm-hmm. important too. There's a, a quiz. Well, pro- I'll try and link all these in like the show notes, but there's a five love languages quiz. And I, n- becoming self-aware in that and knowing how you like to receive love and give love. I think that's important, especially not even in like a marriage and a romantic relationship, but even in your friendships of what do you appreciate in a relationship and what is valuable to you. And then learning what your, you know, especially in a marriage, your spouse's love languages are David and I are very opposite in that he is physical touch. He is quality time. I am um, acts of service. I am physical touches way down, way down there. And so it, it can be a challenge for both of us because he is not acts of service. And so we both have to think like, what can I do for him? Or, you know, even just me reaching out and holding his hand means the world to him because that's how he receives his love. Whereas for me, I'm like, I'd rather walk by myself, but I know it's good for him. And so that's, I think that's one valuable. And I know there's one that you can take for your kids too. Of like, I know mm-hmm. Lucy needs a lot of physical touch. And so that's something that I have to move past too when she's all over me. And Christian is quality time. And I know he needs that when I could be doing A, B, C, and D, he would just rather me sit and be there and play with him. And that's totally not my personality, but I know that he needs it. I think too, when I talk with people about the love languages, you have to realize that um, whatever your love language is, that's your first instinct will be to show other people love in your love language. And so like, it doesn't, like we talk about a lot in couples counseling, like then it doesn't count because it's not their love language. That's not how they feel loved. Right. So physical touch is not my love language. It is probably my husband's number one love language. Right. And so I just have to be aware. And I think he's become to understand, like, if I go and like sneak up on her and give her a hug, that does not make her feel loved like that actually irritates the piss out of her and causes her pain. But I know if I sneak up on him and give him a hug, that's going to make him feel loved. And so you have to like retrain your brain to show people love in the way that they feel love, which is so hard sometimes um, in the middle of being in a relationship, but especially with our kids. Uh, my kids think it's freaking hilarious, like jump on top of me and give me hugs. Uh, Cause I mean, everybody just speaks about it pretty openly in my house that I don't like physical touch. And so um, it's just, I don't know. It's just been a thing. I think too, like gifts is a love language. And so that can be hard sometimes um, for people. My sister is definitely gifts. And so keeping that in my brain, like she'll pop over and, and get me something and give me a gift. And I know that's her trying to show me love. And I um, gifts is not mine. I'm trying to actually remember what mine is. I think mine is more words of affirmation and, um, quality time or acts of service. I think I go back and forth in there, but, uh, it's just like retraining your brain so that you are showing love in a way the person that you love actually feels loved. And that's just making somebody else a priority over you. And I, I think that's really important when also, I think when we talk about just interacting with people and being self aware for me, because I am confrontational and I don't know, aggressive or whatever you want to say. I kind of put it out there at the beginning. Like, this is who I am. I think always when I'm in a church setting, I'm like, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm allowed to say aggressive things about pastors. Like I just put it out there at the very beginning because that's where I come from and kind of who I am and kind of what shapes me. And so 
I found like prefacing what I know about myself ahead of time, just lays it out there for people. And so they're not trying to have to figure it out about me. Like I'm just letting you know from the beginning. So maybe after like on your email signature, you could put DCE, LS, whatever your letters, eight, ENS, whatever. (laughs) Just preface it on your bio so people are aware. Yeah. I did. I worked at it when I was in Michigan, the church and school that I worked for, like right before I got there, they took a, a quiz from, it's called living your strengths. And it's the Clifton strengths finder and it gives you your top five strengths. And then they put them all on t-shirts and then you were able to wear them or they put them like underneath their signature. And I really like that one too, because that book talked a lot of like, focus on your strengths instead of Mm -hmm. I'm not good at being organized. So I'm not going to try and be organized because that's not who I am not, well, not try, but I'm not going to like overexert myself because I'm more gifted in abstract thinking and idea making. And I'm going to go and find someone that's good at organization and we can work together and we can live out our strengths. And so it was kind of cool on like the living your strengths Sundays, everyone would show up in their shirts and you could see what their strengths were. And, and it it was just a a unique concept for that, but I think it does help you be self-aware as a reminder of like, this is who I am, but it also helps other people be aware of, okay, I'm not going to approach Megan to have this subtle conversation with someone. I'm going to approach her if I really need to get stuff done, you know, or I'm going to approach Laura if I want to use paper and be super organized. (laughs) And have, and have Webster's definition of things. It makes me think about Laura and I don't know that I'll say his name, but you and I both worked with a pastor who was a big idea guy, but like he, his gift was not making it like putting his ideas into place. He needed people around him that would do the little pieces. Right. And so I think that's another piece in like work and stuff is like, here's what I'm gifted in. And here's how I'm going to put people around me that complement my weaknesses. Like, I'm an executive director. I was very honest from the beginning of taking this role that one, I'm following two men and I will not function the same way. And two, financials are not always my strength. And so having people around me who can just fill in those gaps, like having a strong treasurer, having a strong operational operations director that's going to help me in those places that I know I'm weak. I don't think we have lived in a culture for very long where we're fine saying, here's where I'm weak and here's where I need help. And for me, that's what self-awareness is. And I was talking with somebody the other day too of, well, you know, I followed this person in this position and this is how this person did the job and how they functioned and, and, you know, when they arrived and what they wore and all this stuff. So I need to do exactly what they did because they were so valued Um, and I just don't think that's true. Like, I think you need to say, yeah, I'm going to do the job. I'm going to do it a little differently. Here's what works best for me. I mean, I followed my dad. He, he was a man older, no young kids in the home. Like he could work till eons at night and I just can't, and that's not how I do the job. And it's just being aware of who you are, what stage of life you're in and being honest about that and finding people around you that are going to help in those weak spots. I, that's what I find to be super important. It was interesting when I was reading over some of the stories that people have, we found 
Megan, I've worked with this fundraising, um, what would you call her, developer? She helped us. She helped us. We call her Martha. She's our, she's our Martha. She's our Martha. (laughs) Shout out to Martha. Um, But in fundraising, people like to hear stories and that can be kind of challenging in the mental health field because we can't share personal stories or names or pictures or anything. So what I've been doing with our development is asking our therapist to share stories. And then I kind of combine them all together. But this month was kind of easy because a lot of the self-awareness themes were clients coming in and feeling guilty about thinking about themselves and Mm -hmm. how their therapist had to work through how different situations made them feel, why they were reacting that way and encouraging them to take time to get to know themselves and understand why that situation made them feel that way. Things that are in their control and things that are not in their control and telling them that it's okay to become self-aware. Maybe that's the challenge with some of these. Maybe that's why people like the personality test that they gravitate sort of Enneagram because it allowed them to focus on themselves, which is not encouraged. I don't think very often in our society and something like this being pushed out in these books and these tests, we're saying like, it's okay, figure out who you are, learn about other people, what triggers you. And that's going to help you maybe live a more fulfilling life. So I think self-awareness may be intimidating because (laughs) you do have to take the time to sit down with yourself and have honest conversations. A lot of the tips from the therapist were like, um, I think I just posted one today was like a body scan and it's just sitting Mm -hmm. there in quietness and like becoming one with your body, like starting with your toes, moving up through your legs. Like, do you feel flutters in your stomach? And I, I don't like being alone with myself and with my thoughts for that long. Like I could be by myself, but give me a book, give me a show, give me, (laughs) give me work, give me something to do, (laughs) but just to like really ponder what, what triggers me that could be kind of intimidating for people. Right. And we use things like a book or a show or something to do to distract us from our own internal thoughts. But I also think it's where the church has done. And I pick on the church again, pastor's kid, I can say bad things, but um, like we've done a bad job of, of calling people selfish at times, like, or telling them they need to think of others before themselves, which yet yeah, on some extent, but there still has to be time that you're thinking about yourself. There still has to be time that you're learning about yourself internally um, just to be a better version of you and, and to understand who you are. So it's not selfish, but it's so funny that we have to teach that in counseling. We have to teach people to come in and talk about themselves. I can't, I mean, the majority of my sessions, people will start off talking about somebody else. And it's like me always just pointing back to, so what does that say about you? How do you feel about that? What kind of thoughts come up when that happen? You know, all of those pieces are, are so important. And then getting rooted in why do you function that way? And I, this is probably a whole nother topic, but it's come up a couple times this past month in sessions. It is not easy to look back on family of origin and say, I function or do things this way because of an, an unhealthy habit my parents had, right? It's not easy to get to a place in life and look back on your parents and say, ah, they didn't do that well, or they weren't great. I mean, we like to idolize our parents. Well, a lot of us do, 
where we like to look back on only the happy memories. And so becoming self-aware, sometimes you got to look back on the yucky stuff and say, oh, like, that's why that gives me butterflies in my stomach. Or that's why, you know, like we, uh, we knew somebody who died last week and my, my reaction was I wanted to vomit. Anytime I personally know somebody who dies, it just makes me sick to my stomach. And I know where that goes back to, it goes back to some grief that I haven't dealt with, with a pastor that I worked with. And so it just always, whenever it comes up, my brain goes right there. And so having to understand, like, why do I have this reaction that I do? It's not easy. It's, it's yucky and it's uncomfortable and left to our own devices. We don't really like to do things that are uncomfortable. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's a piece where we're always going to have to learn more about ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're always going to, it's not, you're not going to get to an end point with it. And so I just, that concept at times can be defeating. Like you're telling me this is never going to end Megan. That's Mm -hmm. great. Thanks. Well, and it'd be interesting too to like take these tests in different phases of life. You know, mm-hmm. I would probably not have the same results if I took this 10 years ago as I do now. Life experiences are going to change who you are and contribute to personality changes or anything like that. So that I, that's probably part of self-awareness too, realizing that you're going to change as you get older. You're going to have positive experiences and negative experiences. They're going to shift the way your, your mind thinks. And who knows, like later on in life, once you find a therapist and you process your grief, you, uh, <laughs> love you, Megan. Um, like that could change your, your perspective on death, you know? <clears throat> so it's not like I'm going to take this and forever in my life, I'm going to be a three and an eight an extroverted observant thinking prospecting person. Like if I took this in five, 10 years when I have older kids and my priorities are different, who knows what I could change into. Well, and I would say like, I'm not always going to be aggressive and I'm not always confrontational in every situation. There's been times where like, even my dad is like, why didn't you confront that? Like it is your behavior to confront that. So it's interesting that you didn't, you know? So I think it morphs as you get older and, And as you go through other things, every situation in your life impacts you in different ways. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Um, we're to our time of wrapping up self-awareness. I feel like that went by quicker. I know. Is it as bad as I thought it was going to be? What would your final points be to our listeners, our following? Laura pointed out that I need to get back into therapy to deal with my (laughs) grief, so gonna have to work on that in my free time. Um, yeah, I think it is that piece of understanding that self-awareness is always, you need to make room for it. It's always going to be there and it's going to be a thing you need to have a dialogue going in your head about what's going on in me. What am I feeling? Why am I feeling that way? What can I do about it? It, That's not going to be a piece you ever you ever let go of. And I hope that you hear Laura and I saying too, like, we don't sit here as experts. We are, I was going to say, we're not fully self-aware because I don't think you can be, but it is a process that we continue to go through as well. So know that you're not alone in that. What about you? Wrap up thoughts. If you're going to take a test, take a few. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It could be, it could be intense as I was taking them last night. I was like, oh my gosh, who am I? And then reading about who I am and letting it def- define me. 
um, I guess take the time for yourself. It's okay to be quote unquote selfish, because I think if you understand who you are, it's going to help you become a better person in all the different aspects of your life. And you're going to find out what your triggers are, what makes you happy, what kind of situations you may want to remove yourself from. And I don't think life is going to be as daunting as it needs to be when you know who you are. I feel like this is my, this is my other self-awareness piece that I don't do well is, um, we should sprinkle a little Jesus in here. And that's usually like at the wrap up end of it doesn't, it, God knows fully who you are. It's about you understanding who God's made you to be. And so our devotion this morning that we did, cause I'm really loving this book that we did just reminded me, it doesn't matter how you fall or what causes you to fall. God picks you up regardless. So even those things that you don't know about yourself yet, God still loves you despite them. And probably honestly, most of the time because of them. So it, that, that reassuring piece of God's presence with you throughout that. And the guilt that we think we experience because of how he looks at us is just not even true. Mm -hmm. Give yourself Jesus eyes instead of Laura eyes or Megan eyes or self eyes, because it's a whole different viewpoint from when he looks at you versus when we look at ourselves. I think we tend to see our flaws or our weaknesses more than our strengths at sometimes. And that's not how God sees us at all. Yeah. He doesn't play that comparison game that we often get stuck with doing in our heads. So um, a little Jesus there to end our our time (laughs) with you find some time this week to maybe just like do that body scan or take a look at yourself in a different light or receive some feedback from somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would go, it would go a long way. Mm -hmm. So thanks for joining us today on our journey of self-awareness and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Laura and I would love to connect with you more. So we launched an Instagram page just for this podcast. Give us a follow today at it's okay to not be okay podcast.